Thank you to everybody for joining again. Um, we are in middle of our series of Shurim on Tefillah. And our Shurim on Tefillah have taken the path of the Sidur. This is fundamentally a class on Jewish liturgy. And when we go through the Sidur, we find that we learn lessons every every page that we turn. And We've turned a few pages. We've begun with, you know, the Elokai Neshama, the Nitil Sedaim, the Ashiyatsar. We're starting to learn a couple of lessons about how the tefillahs develop and how the, ah, let me, let me uh, minimize my, my screen, right? Hold up, pin and minimize. So we're learning a couple of lessons about how tefillah develops and tonight, we're going to continue with what's called the Brachot HaPeulot, or as most people know them, the Brachot HaShachar, which begin with Hanotena Sechvivina. Last week, we left off with Elokai Neshama, and we looked at how Elokai Neshama might have begun as one of many various um, blessings which were intended to be said immediately upon awake awakening. Chazal saw it fit to write a blessing that as soon as a person awakes, he should praise Hashem for the merit and for the miracle of both sleep and the miracle of wakening. And we saw how there were po uh, possibly a few versions in the time of the Gemara, both in Bavel and in Yerushalayim, uh, well, I should say northern Eretz Yisrael, and Elokai Neshama was the one that survived as the beginning of the Berchot HaShachar. That's, that's what we saw last week, and we explored the ins and outs of that uh, of that fascinating bracha. Uh, tonight, we're going to continue past the Lokai Neshama. And in most of the Sidurim, what follows is a series of brachot, which come from a Gemara in brachot of Samachum Beit, which we have been looking at for the past couple of weeks. And this series of brachot is These are brachot which are familiar to every Jew who prays every day. Very hard to forget, very easy to remember. Brachot one after the other, which we say every single day. And if you look at the screen, I'm showing a slide of brachot ha-pu'ulot, the, the, the blessings of morning activities. And I did not make up this, this term. This term is used by Reb Sa'adiyah Gaon to distinguish the brachot which we say in the morning um, on the brachot of things that you do, like um, uh, sitting up in your bed, hearing the rooster, um, well, I should, say, I should say, sorry, opening your eyes, um, putting on your shoes, you would say, etc. So Reb Sa'adiyah Gaon sees these as brachot apulot, or blessings on activities. And that, that's the name he gives He gives them. And this is in distinction to other brachot, like the brachot hashmiyah, a brachot for things that you hear, or brachot hariyah, brachot for things that you see. He puts them into neat different categories. And Rafsadi Gaon in his Sidur, and we've discussed Rafsadi Gaon in the, in the past, but he is intensely creative. And he almost disregards the way the Gemara orders it in Masechet Brachot. And he takes, for example, out of the order 
and he doesn't say to say it in the morning. Or Sadiagon says, let's take which is the bracha you say upon hearing a rooster. Let's put it with the collection of brachot you say when you hear things. So he's intensely creative in this fashion. And, and Sadiagon believes that all of these brachot, as they come from the Gemara in brachot, um, all of these are occasional brachot. These are brachot which should only be said upon the occasion of hearing a rooster cry. If one would hear a rooster cry, holds of Sadiagaon, a person should then say a brachot, a, a, a bracha hashemiah for hearing the rooster cry. So he puts it in a completely different category. This aligns with Sadiagaon and the Rambam's view of the idea that the brachot, which we're about to enumerate here in the Gemara, all the brachot that everybody says every day, all these brachot hashachar, um, these are brachot which are supposed to be said upon occasioning these things. For example, if you hear the rooster, if you sit up on your bed, when you put on your belt, when you put on your hat, all of these things, when, when you wash your face, according to the Rambam and of Sadia Gaon, these brachot were designed to be done upon that occasion. And if you didn't do it, you wouldn't say that bracha. So the Rishonim, as a consequence of this um, idea that all of these things are occasional brachot, disagree fundamentally over whether how to treat this series of brachot that we know from our morning prayers. Do we do we treat this this series of brachot, these brachot apulot, as a brachot hashvach, or do we treat them as a brachot hanehenin? Meaning, are these blessings of praise to Hashem? Are we praising Hashem for the rooster? Are we praising Hashem for our ability to walk, or are these more like? Thank yous or brachot hanenin, just like you say a, br- a bracha hanenin when you eat an apple, or you say boy bore priya etz. So too, this is should be treated halachically like brachot hanenin. Those are the two camps that the rishonim fall into. The rush seems to say that there are mixed. Some are some are uh, some are hanenin. Some are some are shvach. But these are generally the two camps that the rishonim fall into when trying to disco- to describe this series of brachot in the gemara. Now. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, the Al-Natilat Yadayim aspect kind of changed the history of this of these series of brachot. And in the time of the Gemara, as we saw, and I'm showing the page here on my screen, in the time of the Gemara, it appears that they had no um, concern with the fact that a person might wake up in the morning and his hands would be dirty. From the Gemara's perspective, that's fine. A person can wake up in the morning, have his hands dirty, and still say Elokai Neshama. He could still say the Brachot as soon as he occasions upon these things. However, in the time of the Geonim, we see a concern grow that perhaps people do not have clean hands in the morning, and therefore they should wash them first before saying a Bracha. This created a morning liturgy, a fixed morning liturgy, because people would have to wait until, even if they did all these things, they got out of bed, they put on their hat, they put on their belt, they would have to wait until they said al and then say all of these brachot in a series. They would have to say, um, they have to say all these brachot all at once. So it's in the time of the Geonim that we find these brachot definitely become a fixed morning liturgy and part of a series. There is a pushback in the later uh, Geonim, like in the time of Sadia, and later in the, Rishonim, in the Rishonim by the Rambam and his son, there's a pushback against this practice to make them a fixed liturgy. There's a pushback to say, no, these shouldn't be in a series. These should just be on occasion. When you do them, you should do, th- when, when, when you do these, these actions, then you should say the bracha. So that's the pushback that happened in the time of the Rishonim, and we've discussed this before. 
And that, that's just a little bit of a recap as to as to how that developed. Now, the Svaradim, um, there's a gloss, like a, a note on the side of the Siddur of Amram Gaon. And this is not, not written by Amram Gaon, but somebody, one of the scribes wrote in that the Minigans in Spain was that everybody would do these um, at shul. They would wait until they got to shul and then they would say the brachot. From the other evidence, it seems that this was more localized than the scribe might have thought. But it's clear that many Svaradi Kilot had this minhag to many Svaradi had this uh, Svaradi Kilot had this minhag to to wait until they got to shul and then to say the and and then to say the brachot. I'm sorry, I lost my cursor here. Where did it go? Got it. Okay. Now, the Ashkenazim retains even. I would say the Ashkenazim retains an even stronger minhag, because in the Ashkenazim minhag, the Chazan is supposed to get up and say all of the brachot out loud. The reason for this is because they're afraid that somebody in the in the community won't know how to say the brachot, and the Chazan is being motzi him. And then later, if you look in the Archonim, there's a development about whether or not somebody who is a baki can be somech on the on, on the shliach zibor or not. So there, there is a, some development to this custom. It wasn't just a haphazard custom. They did they did create this custom of saying it out loud for a reason. Alrighty. So what exactly were what exactly happened to the attitude of this machloket? So if you look quite a bit later from Rabbi Yaakov Mimarwas, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Rabbi Yaakov. He this he wrote a famous sefer called the Shailotu Chuvot Min Hashamayim. Shailotu Chuvot Min Hashamayim is literally a book where the the Rishon the 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 sage he 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 puts a series of brachot. Uh, sorry, he puts a series of puts forth a series of questions to the heavens, like by by writing a special kameya, putting it under his pillow, and he asked halachic questions to the Beit Din Shalmaila, and he asked them for their opinion. So everybody has their own opinion about this safer. Like, is it real? Is it fake? Is it his imagination? Do we paskin like what Shemayim says? But this is a real safer. And if you want to find it, it's called Shalot Chuvot Min Shemayim. It's from one of the later Rishonim. And he asks the heavens, he asks the Malachim basically, what happened? What, what's the story? Who's right in this in this argument? Is it is it true that you should only say these brachot if you chance upon them, right? If you hear a rooster. Or does a person say it whether or not he heard a rooster? Who's right? Which which camp of Rishonim is right? So the Malachim replied to him that these, like the Geonim, basically, they say all of these brachot were instituted only to fulfill the 100 brachot that we say every day. And a person can say them whether or not he heard a rooster. And the... The idea is basically essentially that these are birchot shvach, but they bring something, a very interesting proof the, the the angels tell him that look at Shmon Esrei. Shmon Esrei, you're allowed to say Rofei Cholim or Rifein Hashem Elkenu that Hashem should heal us, even though if you don't have a sick person in your house. So just like you could say a Birkat Hashvach, even, uh, sorry, uh, uh, even just like you could say a Birkat Bakasha, a penitential, uh, sorry, a petitionary prayer without um having the need, just like you could say a petitionary prayer without having the need so too can you say a praise without having the experience. This is the, this is what the angels tell Rabbi Yaakov. It's a fascinating raya, but the they they seem to affirm, the angels affirm for him that the whole t- reason for the Takana of Chazal, they only instituted these brachot 
in order to fulfill the quota of 100 brachot every day. And we're going to discuss a little bit more about that idea a little bit later. Okay, so now let's get down to business. Let's look at the Gemara itself. We're going to go through all the series of brachot as the Gemara enumerates them. And then um, <coughs> we'll discuss them one by one. So I must give a disclaimer. In my earlier shiurim, um, if somebody goes back to like sheer like five years ago in the podcast, I was a lot more, I, I, I studied it much more on a low level, not, not on a low level in a, in a literal sense, but in a low level, meaning closer to the text. We did a lot of the homilies. We looked at a lot of the Drushim and the Pirushim from all of the Mepharshim, the Mekubalim and the, and, and the Rishonim. We did a deep dive into the text itself and how the commentators understood these brachot. I'm going to do less of that this time. I'm still we're still going to examine um, how the commentators understood these brachot, but we're not going to go as deep as we did last time. Last time we took a deep a deeper dive into the Kabbalah. And if anybody's interested, please retrace my steps. Go back to the earlier shurim, and you'll hear those shurim on on the Kabbalah tonight. I want to focus on the way the Talmud Bavli structures this series of brachot because so many sidurim that we have today are built on these uh, these brachot. There's uh, three brachot that we're going to leave out tonight, and that is Shlosani Goish, Shlosani Avet, Shlosani Isha. Those are not necessarily brachot to pulot. Some people call them the brachot mafchinot, right? The brachot of distinction, that I'm not a Goy, that I'm not an Evet, that I'm not an Isha. And they are not present here in Masecha, in, in this page of Masechat Brachot. They warrant their own page in, in Minachot Tafem Gimel Amidbet. So though, or Memdalet, I don't remember precisely. Those brachot we're going to discuss separately, but this series here, is is what we're going to focus on tonight. Now, as I've mentioned before, there's always the trickiness of let me let me share a different page here with you. There's always the trickiness of using the Talmud Bavli as your source for researching the Siddur. And the reason for that is as I've showed before, and let me see if I can get this into full screen. So I hope I'm sharing, yeah, Hachi Garcinon. If you look at, let's say, for example, bavli.geniza.org, which is a great resource for looking at all the manuscripts of Talmud Bavli. Um, and you follow the brachot here, you'll see how many variations there are, both in the order and in the text of the brachot in the Talmud Bavli. Many of the scribes thought they were being helpful by changing the, the nusach that they found in the Gemara with the Nusach that they knew. They were retrojecting their own Siddur onto the Gemara and trying to fix the Gemara, which is a nice, uh, you know, thank you, but no thank you. And this is what uh, the, the damage a lot of the scribes did to um, distort the proper transmission of the Gemara. So here, as I'm showing you on this table, we have multiple different orders, multiple different versions of both the Nusach and the order of the Talmud Bavli. That's problem number one. Um, prob that, so pr problem number one, just to summarize, is to say that again, is that the Talmud Bavli itself has multiple different versions. If we look in the manuscripts of Talmud, we have multiple different versions of these brachot. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that if you look at the Rishonim and, and, and look at what kind of text they had for their Gemara, you realize that, that they had even more um, nuschaot or versions of the of, of the Bavli than we did. And uh, five years ago, when I still had an amazing amount of enthusiasm, um, I went ahead and created a spreadsheet here of all the various Rishonim and Geonim, which um, 
of all the various Rishonim and Geonim and their list of the Barachot in, in, in their Halachas Farim or in their quotations of the of the Gemara. So this, I thought I was doing God's work, honestly. I was very proud of myself. And then I realized that um, if you look in the Frankel Rambam, somebody did the same thing in the back. And I was so upset. I felt like I was the only guy. I'm the guy who did this. You know, it was me. Uh, I made this whole chart. And I'm so special. And then I looked at the back of the Frankel Rambam and somebody did the exact same thing. He laid out all of these um, versions side by side with the comparison. And as you'll see, you'll notice some of them here, like Magbiash Falim, Rofe Cholim, Somech Noflim. Some of these are ones that you might have not heard of. This this spreadsheet um, is only page one. There's This is the early ones. And then if you look, there's the medieval. Um, we have uh, the tour, Shulchan Aruch, Budurham, or Hershiyatzibor, and the Shlach, sorry, late medieval. And finally, the modern, uh, the the modern Sidurim. If anybody wants, I can send them this spreadsheet. It's fun to look at, um, and there's there's a lot of data to really cross compare. And I should also mention that not all of these orders are deliberate. Depending on the Rishon writing, sometimes they were writing it deliberately in order. Sometimes they were not writing it deliberately deliberately in order because they held they were occasional. So that's just for some fun. Let's get back to the Gemara. Um, okay. Zuck the Halegi Gemara, as we say, says the Gemara, Kishama Kol Tarnagola, right after uh, Elokaina Shama. If a person hears the sound of a rooster, Lema Baruch Asher Natana Sechvivina, a person should say, Blessed is, is the one who gave to the heart or to the rooster wisdom. So the literal meaning of this Pasuk, if you look in in Iov um, is Mishat Patuchot Chokma or Minatan La or who gave to the heart wisdom. The literal meaning of the word Sechvi is heart. And let me just show you uh, the next page here. No, where um, where are we? Yeah, this should be okay. Yeah, here we go. So I'm re- this is a Gemara in, in Rosh Hashanah Daf Chavav uh, the Gemara in discussing the words in discuss there's a list over there of, of Amoraim who saw different <coughs> the, there's a list of Amoraim who who went traveled to different places and they heard different people calling things different things okay so Amr Bishimon ben Lakish kishalachti lechum kan neshraya when I went to the district of kan neshraya hayukorin lekalan infi uletanagol sechvi let me just skip a little uletanagol sechvi Amarav Yudamarav. Why did they why did they call a Tarnagal heart? Amar Yudamaravi Bait Marabishub and Levi. My crowd, what does the Pasuk say? Mishat Batuchot Chokma, who placed in the innards wisdom? Omi Natana Sahvivina. Mishat Batuchot Chokma Elu Klayot. Those are the kinis. Omi Natana Sahvivina Ze Tarnagal. When it says Sahvivina, this also means a rooster. In, in other words, even though the literal meaning of the Pasuk is a heart, over here it means rooster. So there's a lot of discussion in the Rishonim exactly where the word comes from and what the, 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 the connotation of this word is. And I actually find this, 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 this conversation very, very interesting. I, I actually thought it was, we're lucky because, you know, the Yiddish word, uh, the Yiddish word uh, for Tuchus comes from, most likely comes from Tuchot. So I found it funny that we only say, <laughs> we don't say Baruch Hashem Natan. Uh, because anyone who speaks Yiddish will be will be giggling uncontrollably every morning. But we do say, 
and the the sechvi part this this uh this word sechvi <laughs> the the rishonim say comes from the word soche which means in a way to see or to perceive it doesn't just mean to see it's a deeper type of 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 seeing like the pasuk says maskiot levav and when Targum says by Vayabet and, and a person like perceived and they saw deeply, Targum will say Vistaki, right? From the Lashon of Soche, that a person could see. The um, We know that by Sarai Menu, she was called Yiska. Why? Because she saw with Ruach HaKodesh. They, the, 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 the Schach of a Sukkah, for example, is called Schach because you can see through it. Soche um, means that the Rooster can perceive that it is daytime, even though the sun hasn't come up yet. That's the connotation of the word sechvi. So it's a it's a way of saying the heart, but also saying intuition of the heart, where a person can not see something with their eyes, but still perceive it. That's the that's the deeper understanding of sechvi because it comes from the word of soche. Okay, so it comes from a pasuk. Many brachot come from a pasuk, and that's why um, that's why we have the language as it is. Let's go further. When a person opens his eyes, a person is to say, blessed is he who illuminates the um, the blind. So the Rishonim here jump on this and they say, you should know, doesn't necessarily mean that a person is literally blind. We know that it says in Breshit, right? When Adam and Chava ate from the tree, they, their eyes, what does Targum say there? Targum says, that both of their eyes were illuminated. Not that Adam and Chava didn't realize, didn't know that they were naked. Of course they were. They knew that they were naked, but their eyes were illuminated. They suddenly realized that they were naked. So pokeach is the opposite, literally the opposite of soche. When a person is soche, his mind perceives something and, and he can understand that something's there, even though his eyes don't see it, right? So the rooster can understand that it is daytime, even though it appears night, because he understands that there's a trace of light that he could perceive. While pokeach is the exact opposite. Pokeach is where your eyes can see something plainly. They're in your plain view, but your brain doesn't see it. Your mind has no idea what it's actually seeing. Pokeach is the illumination of knowledge. And the, the Gra actually points out in Mishle that Pokeach is, is specific to non-Torah matters. But when someone's a, a Pikeach, a person is intelligent, but not in a Torah intelligence. It's a simple, uh, more of a plain intelligence. So I, I just, I happen to think that's a really interesting uh, cross that we go from Sechvi to Pokeach. Okay, let's go a little further. When a person gets up, Lema, Baruch Matir Asurim. So I should point out that there was another Girsa of the Gemara that also had Kad Magbia Reshe. When a person lifts his hands, he should say, but uh, lifts his head, he should say Baruch Magbia Shvalim. But our our Girsa of the Gemara is just um uh what's the word? He should say Baruch Matir Asurim. So this version, Matir Asurim. Many of the Gionim did not have it in the Gemara, and they thought it was wrong to say it because once you're saying Zokev Kifufim, once you're saying who straightens out the bent, why do you need to say Matir Asrim? You, you, you got up, you, you got up. Of course, you know, it's redundant. So the Ravamram Gaon says it's a Brachalva Talan, a person should not say Matir Asurim. Um, Kabbalistically, the, the Mikubalim dive into Matir Asurim. They believe that it's more than just like, uh, sleep paralysis. It's also like a a um 
there are bonds, asurim, uh, spiritual impure bonds, which hold a person down when he's sleeping, and those are released when a person wakes up. It's certain types of, of klipot. But the simple meaning is that when a person goes to sleep, his brain shuts down the muscles, it restricts them so he can't move. And then matir asurim, a person is, is uh, the muscles are allowed to be released, um, and Hashem le- gives you control of your muscles again. If anybody's ever experienced sleep paralysis, it's when you wake up in like a specific stage of REM sleep, and you don't have... Uh, you don't have control over your muscles, but your your mind is still awake and your brain has still has your muscles shut down. It's kind of terrifying because you can't move, but you know you're in, you're you're locked in a position and you're awake. Terrifying thing, but that's why we say Baruch Matiasurim. So just for a tangent, um, the uh, I mentioned that the the there was a another new sach. The Rokeach had this. The Aguda had it. The Bahag had it. The Rav Gaon had it. The Rav Amram Gaon had it. Many of the Rishonim had this girsa of Baruch Magbia Shefalim. That blessed is is he who raises up those who are um who are downtrodden. And this is not the only uh Nusach which this is not the only Nusach which was lost. For example, um we have a whole bunch of others. I didn't put this in the but from from the Geniza, from Rome, from Romania. And from France, we have a series of brachot which were lost. We have Magbia Shalim, Meoreri Shenim, Mekitzner Dumim, Maftiach Shemeach Harashim, Marnin Ilimim Somech Noflim, and we also saw one example of Baruch Rofecholim. So a lot of different versions, both in the Geniza, the the Italian version, the Greek version, the French version, even the German version, had uh, extra brachot which probably weren't even in the Talmud. But a lot of these versions had extra brachot in the morning that a person would say. All of these, of course, um, uh, are 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 um, borrowed from languages in scriptures, are borrowed from languages in Tanakh. But a lot of these are lost girsaot. And unfortunately, the the one of Magbia Shefalim, I don't really know um, why this one went extinct. So many of the early ones, so many of the early Talmuds, and so many of the early Rishonim had Magbia Magbia Shefalim. So I'm really at a loss as to why Magbia Shvalim was lost to history. My my assumption is that the later copies of Talmud didn't have it, and for some reason it just got left out, and therefore it got omitted from the Sidurim as well. That's my suspicion. I know there's an article about it in um, Moshe Chalamish's book on Kabbalah and in, in, in Tefillah, but I didn't have a chance to see it in time for the Shior. If I do get to see it later, I will follow up. Okay, so we did Matira Surim. What's the next one in the Gemara? Um, Kilavish, when a person gets dressed, Lema Baruch Malbish Arumim, a person should say, Blessed is, is he who gives us clothing. This one's pretty simple. Um, of course, the Mikubalim go deeper into that and they say that that this has to do with the um, what is, it, what is this called? The Arhamakif that, that that surrounds a person when he wakes up in the morning, which is a beautiful idea. And this, the there's also a fascinating uh, Shulchan Aruch. I think it's in tough race you'd gim uh tough race. Uh, I want to pull this up for you. Malbisharumim, hold up. This is worthwhile to wait 20 seconds to pull up, I promise. The Shulchanarch essentially says that when you get a new piece of clothing, right? If a person gets a new piece of clothing, he should I'm gonna get you the language. Bishatakinyan shall beget uh bishatakinyan. Right. So Shulchan Aruch is in, oh, sorry, Arachayim Reish Chaf Gimel. I don't know why I thought Taryag. I'm thinking of a different halacha. The Mechaber says about 
He says that if a person gets a new <coughs> beged, when he buys it, he should say shachianu, right? Famous. Sheina bracha ela alidei simchat halev shu samech bekinyatan. The bracha is only for the, the, the enjoyment that he's so happy that he got a, a significant new piece of clothing. The Shulchan Aruch says, The Shulchan Aruch out of the blue. He invents this. He says in Reish Chav Gimel that a person, if after you say Shulchan you should say Baruch Hashem, Mal Bisharumim. It's an incredible thing. Um, now, this does not come from the uh, Bavli, but this is mentioned in the Yushalmi in, in Perak Tess in Halacha Gimel. So, and also in a Tesefta. So the Shulchan Aruch paskins like this Yerushalmi and this Tesefta, even though nobody paskins like this before him, as far as I know. Um, Lemaisa, I don't think many people do this today. I don't think ma- many people say Baruch Mal B'Sharumim after they, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, after they, they they get a brand new piece of clothing. But the Berhetiv also brings the people who uh, who get a, a brand new hatch, say Shachianu, and also say Oter Yisrael B'Tfarah, based on this halacha. So I just thought it was really interesting. Okay, um, a little further. I wish we we had more time to go through all of that, but let's let's go a little further. Kizakif, a person gets upright, but he should say Baruch Sokif Kifufim, as we mentioned from the Pasuk. Uh, it's based on a Pasuk. This is also based on a pasuk, right? It's to say, blessed is he who spreads the firmament on of land on top of the water. Um, the Mekubalim go, go uh, uh, I shouldn't say go crazy here, but the Mekubalim speak about this very deeply because the the idea of rikia is a very important idea in in um, in Kabbalah. That there's, I believe, it's or rikia, mayim, sheleg. There's there's different stages of of firmness to the creation or the existence of matter and the creation and existence of energy in the Kabbalistic thought. And Roka uh, is a is a reference to this idea of Roka or Rakia. So it's a very mysterious bracha. It's not clear why we say it at all. So honestly, I'm 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 not um uh, I'm not unconvinced by the Kabbalistic interpretations of it, simply because otherwise, why would even if you say somebody invented this for the sake of inventing it, and we're going to get to the reasons later. Like, if somebody, why would they choose this language from from the pasuk? Uh, I think this is a pasuk in Ishaya. Like, why would you choose that language for for um for putting your feet on the ground? I'm I'm not, or like, why would you think of making a bracha for that to begin with? So I'm not unconvinced by by the Kabbalistic interpretations of this, that, that there is something much deeper going on. And I discussed it at length in one of the previous shurim about all those stages of evolution of, of, of energy and, and the Kabbalistic thought. So I, I, I beg you to, to, to reference back that uh, back to there. Let's go a little further in the Gemara. Himas gif, when a person walks, right? He should also say which is based on the Pasuk, which is konanu, uh, right? When a person walks, he should say that bracha a little further. Um, when he puts on his shoes, you should say thank you, Hashem, for doing for giving me all of my needs. That a person should thank Hashem for for providing all of his needs. And the Sfarim, the 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 Pirushim explain why is do, why do your shoes represent all of your needs? Why is it that when I put on my shoes, I say, um, uh, God has done all my needs? So they say, well. There's, there's, uh, we know there's Chai, Medaber, Tzomeach, and Medaber, Chai, Tzomeach, and what's the last one? Uh, anybody remember the, what's the word for the Dumem. last one? Dumem. 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 
Thank you. Right. So they say that when you put on your shoes, you're a living person and you're a, you're a medaber and your feet are inside a shoe made of leather, which is a cow. So you're standing on top of an animal. So chai is on top, so medaber is on top of chai. And then your your shoes are on top of the grass, which is someach. And under the grass is the earth, which is domain. So that's why it represents kol tzorki. That's why the shoes represent kol tzorki. That's what, that's what the mafarshim say. I, I'm just going to point this out of all the homiletics we did. Rav Schwab here says something beautiful. Um, he says that, and and I oh, I've always remembered this. I thought this is such a such an important klal for life. Rav Schwab says that that this is the only bracha which is written in the, um, well, okay, Shleisani Goy is these. This is the only series of the brachota pulot which is uh, in the personal. She says Shesali. The other ones are just plain, right? They they say pokeach yivrim, right? They say it in the plain third person sense. But this is shasali kol turki, not shasalanu. So Schwab says something so cute. He says that when it comes to your needs, when it comes to what you have in life, whether you have enough money, you have enough food, whether you have uh, enough resources, friends, family, um, connections, when it comes to what you need, you have to be grateful to Hashem as if God has given you everything you need, but only you. Never should you have this attitude about other people. Never think that other people have everything they need. You should always consider that other people don't have what they need and don't say, you know what, Hashem will provide for them. No, Hashem will give them what they need. No, you give them what you need. What you give them what they need. Never assume that other people have what they need or that Hashem is going to fulfill it for them. Only imagine the frame of mind you have to have is that Hashem provided you with everything you need. Everybody else needs help. So I, I just, I love that that idea of loving kindness, that, that that's the attitude a person should have towards towards um uh towards other people to be very other focused and other oriented i really like that that really stuck with me even though the first time i saw it was like six years ago all right further um when he when he when he girdles his his belt he should say right who girds himself with uh who girds israel with kvura and when he puts a hat on his head he should say Blessed is um, he who crowns Israel with glory. So those are beautiful brachot. The Rishonim, even our Yehuda ben Yaker says there's a there's a there's a there's a deeper meaning here, um, because um, there's an idea of Ota Orka Salama. There's an idea that Hashem crowns. Uh, I should say no, not Ota Orka Salama. There's another pasuk. There's a pasuk Vihiyitat Ateret Tiferet Biad Hashem. Pasuk from Yeshaya. Um, the, there's an idea that we are Hashem's crown. So Review the Yaker says that Oter Yisrael means that we, Israel, are the are the crown of Hashem in glory. So in many places, first of all, uh, the Pasuk uh, Ozer Yisrael comes from the Pasuk of Nezar Bigvura and Tilim uh, Samache. Um, the grammar of Ozer Yisrael Bigvura, according to Review the Yaker, means uh, that that Hashem's girding himself with the with the with the Gvura of Yisrael, which is again. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's what he says by the grammar there as well. I should. Um, I'll take that back because I have to go look at it. All right. And then there's Oteri Sabotifara. Um, there was an earlier nusach of Ote with a hey. I should point that out. Um, they didn't say Oter, but they said Ote with a hey, like Ote or Kasalema. Our minhag is just like the pasuk says Atere Tiferet Biad Hashem. We say Oter. Rav Sadia Gaon says something very important here. He's he has a different nusach. His is Otef. Yisrael uh, Bitifara. 
He says, if a person is putting on a garment which has tzitzit, then he says, like the next bracha, lehitatef b'tzitzit. But if a person is putting on a garment without tzitzit, then he says, otef yisrael b'tifara. Fascinating idea, and he has a completely different interpretation of the Gemara as we have it. So that's Rav Sadiaga on there. Okay, let's finally get back to why do we say these um, brachot. So the Geonim seem to assume that this, the Geonim seem to assume that the purpose for all of these brachot is to fulfill the mea brachot kol yom. We know that we saw the Gemara and Dafim Gimel Bet in Menachot. I saw, I'm sorry I didn't pull it up in time for um for the uh for I didn't pull it up in time for the slide. But the the Geonim seem to assume that the purpose of all these brachot, all these all these brachot that we just saw on the daf, the the whole purpose of them is because we need to have a hundred brachot every day. Very nice, but the problem is with this assumption is that the Gemara never makes any mention of that. The Gemara is in the middle of a discussion about um about when you enter a city, when you leave a city, when you enter a doctor, you leave a doctor, you enter the bathhouse, you leave the bathhouse, you enter a bathroom, you leave a bathroom, you wake up, you go to sleep. So all those, you go into this, you come out of that. So you go go into there, you come out of there. That's the, the focus of the Gemara. The Gemara doesn't mention anything about Mea Brachas when it continues on this tangent. So the fact that the Geonim assume that all of these Brachot had a uh, had a purpose in Mea Brachot B'Kol Yom means that they must have had some sort of misora. They must have had some sort of tradition to assume this or to uh, to state this with such certainty. And I don't have another reason uh, why the Goni might say this reason. They also bring a Midrash that we looked at in the tour. This is a lost Midrash with David Melech, where David Melech was, um, there was a plague in his time and 100 people were dying every day. And they didn't know what it was for. And David Melech, who was the Navi, went to the Sanhedrin. We saw this uh, two or three shurim ago. And he went to the Sanhedrin and he explained to them that, that there's a system of bracha that comes down to the world. And you need to say 100 brachot every day. And and once we start saying uh, 100 brachot every day, this plague will stop. And kachava. This is what the geonim bring. So it must be they had an established tradition. Uh, not just with the reason, but also with a story. Those two things went linked together. So there's this, there's this ancient tradition from the Geonim that the reason we say Mea Brachot every day and the reason these Brachot were instituted was just to fill the quota, which almost is a very strange thing to say because what, you're, what you end up saying is that these are Brachot for the sake of Brachot. Yes, they are Brachot Ashvach, but they're completely arbitrary. They, you know, you look around the house, I see a pen, I see a pen. Oh, I put my feet on the... T-. Like everybody decided in the time of the Maraim to invent brachot in their time arbitrarily. We don't have any evidence of these brachot existing in the time of the Tanaim. But uh, besides the Shlosani, Goy Shlosani Eved, those are the only, again, I said I would discuss those separately. But these brachot, we don't have any evidence of them existing in the time of the Tanaim. So it's a very strange thing to, to, to imagine a period in the time of the Amoraim where people were inventing these brachot arbitrarily. Now, I... Of course, it's important if that's the case, that they were invented arbitrarily, even if they were invented by sages. What's important to note is that this what might have been the Nusach in Bavel, but the Gemara in Yushalmi doesn't mention any of these. We don't have a Zecher of these Brachot in, in, in the, the Talmud Yushalmi whatsoever. It's almost like either didn't see it fit to mention or they just didn't have them in Hag at all. 
And the same is true for the manuscripts in the Cairo Geniza. The vast majority of the manuscripts in the Cairo Geniza do not contain the Brachot HaPulot. None of these, not Anotin Sakhivina, not Pukeachivrim, none of them. It's curiously missing. So you could say either because just like the Yushalmi, they didn't say them. That's one, that's one uh one th- theory you could push forward. The other theory you could say is, well, these are private blessings and everybody knew them, so nobody saw it fit to write to to um to write them down. And what I'm showing you here on my screen uh, is one of the notable exceptions from the Geniza, which is, as and I, we've mentioned before, um, a scholar named Dahlia Marx, who did a lot of work on the Berchot HaShachar, and she published this book, Be'et Ishan Ve'a'ira, on the Berchot HaShachar. And she dug up many of the, many, many, many of the Geniza documents to look through, the, to compare all of them and how the the blessing of, of Birkot HaShachar were done in the Ben Ezra synagogue in, in Cairo, in Fayum, in, in old Cairo, in Fayum, in Egypt. So she does point out that there are exceptions. There are a couple of manuscripts there which do have the Nusach HaBavli. Um, some of them have Nusach HaBavli. Some of the manuscripts have Nusach HaYushalmi, and some are a blend. This is one of the very interesting manuscripts that I'm showing you here. Uh, the bottom, the the call number is T, uh, Taylor Schechter, uh, NS, I forgot who that is. Um, Nath, I don't remember who NS is. 110.42 um, FGP code, blah, blah, blah. This manuscript here is a very interesting blend of all of them. Uh, if you could just look here, this does have the series, even though it's in Ben Ezra synagogue and they followed the Nusach Yushalmi. You see, which is interesting because a lot of the early versions has um, and then, you know, later, Hanoten Lesech Vivina Lahavchin Beinomu Vein Laila. Over here we have Sitani Shesitani Ish Velo Isha, right? So you see on the next page over there. So, long story short, um, the there are notable exceptions in the Geniza. There are situations where the um, some people did a hybridized version and did have the Nusach Bavli, but as far as we know, um, in the period of the Amoraim, it seems that these brachot hapulot are a Babylonian innovation. We don't know this for sure, but it seems to not have been out and not have spread outside Bavel in the time of the Amoraim, and it was relegated to Bavel, not Yushalayim. It is possible that they said it in Yushalayim as well, but we just don't have any evidence to support that. The Kairogeniza's documents are at the earliest from the ninth century, so it just doesn't really help us. Okay, so there's, I should also give um, honorable mention to this is Lewis Ginsburg. He's a famous conservative rabbi who wrote a famous book called Legends of the Jews. And in he also has a book, um, uh, really a four-volume set of a pirish on the Yushalmi. He wrote a pirish on the Yushalmi, in, in short. And in his pirish on the Yushalmi in Brachas, he has a theory that the longer versions of the bracha that we saw last week, of Hamavir Kevle Shena and Hamapil, Hamapil Kevle Shena, right? The versions we saw last week, and we're going to explore more later. Um, these the um the ver- he believes that that those brachot were there there are many missing sections to it it is not impossible according to his opinion that the longer brachot of the ushalmi originally contained the brachot apulot in a series so for example it would have been a long bracha that would have said hanotena 
It could have been that there was a longer bracha which contained everything inside of it. Not impossible, according to his opinion. I just wanted to give that a its due mention. Okay. Um, but as we have learned, um, there is always a there is always the most important question to discovering really the source of a bracha. Well, not really the source, but the 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 reasons for a bracha. In my opinion, the, the best way to analyze the true reasons for why we say a blessing is not to ask why we say a blessing, but what were the motivations for these blessings? So one of the primary motivations we already saw, we had an ancient tradition that comes from the Geonim, that they have an ancient tradition that the motivation for these blessings is to fulfill the Me'abrachot. That's the first one. Okay, but... As I said, it's very strange because that's arbitrary. And if that's arbitrary, why would they choose certain activities over other activities? So this this is a really open door for interpretation. Some would say that, no, it's, you know, this is all Alpia Kabbalah. And these are all the processes of a person waking in the morning, Alpia Kabbalah. That's what's one route to go. It's a very interesting route, but um, the, the uh, that's one route. For example, I just uh, I remember when we spoke about this, we spoke about how like we spoke about, uh, for example, they say uh, the Malach Gavriel is compared to Sechvi, and there's a whole cycle at night the Zohar brings about uh, seven times at night that Gavriel uh, calls out. Very interesting stuff. Anyway, some would take the Kabbalistic view. Now, because... Uh, again, uh, Professor Marx went through all this, uh, all of this work. I feel like I have some akarsatayv, and she did publish a piece on her beliefs as to why these brachot were chosen. So I will do honorable mention. This was done in the Hebrew Union College Annual. If anybody knows, that's the conservative, uh, the conservative university. They have their their own. Um, they have a periodical. So she published a piece on the morning ritual in the Talmud and her beliefs. There's a lot of valuable research here. Um, in this article as well. Unfortunately, I'm not sure why there's a lot of miscitings in the footnotes. Uh, there's like, everything's like one page off, 10 pages off, drove me crazy. But um, it, perhaps it's just a translation problem. Regardless, in this in this piece, she tries to associate all of the blessings, the morning blessings with these ideas from Victor Turner, uh, an anthropologist of uh, transition and liminality. So there's this famous anthropological idea that when people are going through liminal states, um, this is time of crisis and they need uh, they need structure, they need ritual. That's the idea. So essentially, I, I know this is a little bit hard to explain, but let's say you have a, a person is unmarried, right? Person's unmarried and then he's going to get married or a person is a chief and he's going to become a captain. So in every culture and every religion, there is the prior state of structure, right? You're a chief. And then there's the after state, which is when you're, sorry, there's a prior state when you're a captain and there's the, the after state when you become a chief. So in middle, right, there's a whole ceremony. They take you, they, they take off your, they take off your clothes of being a captain and then they, you have no clothes on or whatever, you have less clothes on and then they put on your clothing of being a chief, right? So there's this middle stage where you're neither chief nor captain. That stage is called the liminal stage. It's like a, like a, a, a you're neither here nor there. And humans don't like liminal stages. They don't like a chassan on the day of his marriage. That's spooky. You know, he's not married. He's, you know, he's married, but he's not married. He's in that liminal stage. So there's all sorts of rituals. You wear this, you wear that. And we we give all sorts of, uh, you know, structures 
and rituals to guide you through those stages. That's why every culture has and religion has its rituals through transitionary uh, transitional stages, um, because humans are spooked by liminal by liminal uh, you know liminality, and they have to uh, they need ritual structure. She tries to apply this to Berches Shachar, and she says that when a person goes to sleep at night, you know this is this is before he's going into sleep. Sleep is liminality, and waking up is is the is the new day. So a person goes from you know, being alive to being dead to being alive. And for this reason, there's a whole um, uh, structure of brachas and there's a whole structure of appreciation for every single order and every single bracha that comes to mind because a person is trying to give fixity to his identity. He's trying to wake up and uh, this is kind of like anthropologically trying to dissect how a person works in the morning subconsciously that a person has this crisis. He has an existential crisis. Wait, he wakes up in the morning. I'm alive again. Uh, who am I? What am I? And all these brachos are reflected in who am I? What do I see? Where am I? Who am I? All of those things. I don't see it. Um, personally, uh, you know, I, I think it's a huge stretch to take all these anthropological ideas and 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 like kind of force it onto the, the reading of the Gemara. I don't see it. It is interesting. It's an interesting uh, idea. Um, personally, I don't see it. I I believe my 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 personal belief is that most of these brachas are shvach that people relate to. Put simply, most of these brachas are simply the most popular ones. Essentially, the the when they were being created. The brachos that resonated with people most are the ones that survived, whichever ones were most motivating to people, whether it was for opening the eyes in the morning or for being able to get out of bed. I believe that these languages just happen to be the most resonant. And for some unknowable reason, the most resonant ones, the most um, appealing ones were the ones that survived the test of time. Perhaps for some reason, the other ones like Sumech Noflim and Magbiash Falim or uh, as we saw, what was it, Marnin Lemim, like all, all these other ones just might have not resonated with as many people in as many places in as many times. So I don't really buy the whole anthropological solution here, although I do I do understand the value of trying to study it that way, because otherwise you're making brachas for the sake of brachas. Why choose these things? There's a thousand psukim in the Torah. There's, you could say, you could say, you could say a thousand different, like, why these? Why did these survive? I understand that it's a troubling question, and and I, but I don't think that that um, liminality and Victor Turner's theories are the are the answer. That's my personal opinion. If anybody wants to 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 dive into that and look for themselves, um, go ahead. Now, I should uh, okay, we'll skip that because I, I forgot to mention this, but um, okay, I'll mention it just because we're mentioning it uh, because I said it, but I, I, I forgot to say that some people during the time of the Rishonim, some people had the minhag not to say it because they didn't wear a hat. I just, I just For some reason, that sparked in my brain. I forgot to tell you that. But the Abu Durham mentions this, that not everybody wears a hat. They don't say Okay, they didn't have a kippah back then. It's a, it's a new thing. Surprise, surprise. Alrighty. Now, the next thing I wanted to mention <laughs> um, was just a funny, uh, just on that topic of of enthusiasm, this is uh, the chief rabbi Beliau Bakshi Doron, Zecher Sadiq Vekadosh Lebracha. He has a teshuva, not a teshuva really, like an essay in a, there's a kuntris called Mililot. I don't know how many years it ran for, but it was like a, a kuntris of Rabbanim in Eretz Yisrael, Rabbanei Yishuv. And he published in there a piece on um, on Birchot HaShachar. And he says, 
that when in uh 19 what is that 1976 when the when the uh survivors of the Entebbe hijacking were rescued people who got off the plane said and so in his tshuva there he says well perhaps based on the shulchan aruch uh that we mentioned by malbisha rumim perhaps it's possible that people can say um it's like at first i thought i'm like no these people are just they're overly excited you know okay they 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 just uh they were released from from uh from it's like pidyon shivuim they were released from captivity now they were released and uh they're so excited that they that they sing out there's just he's like but now that i'm looking at the sugya he says it's possible that this bracha just it is that it is halachically okay to do it he doesn't really he doesn't come out that recommending it but he does say that it could be that this bracha is like so resonant with people that that when they felt this immediate un, uh, unspeakable joy, they just said, and it wouldn't be a bracha levatala. He doesn't want to say that it's a bracha levatala. So I thought that was really interesting how like, first of all, how he's sticking up for people who are not otherwise scholars. And second of all, how there are brachot that somehow do resonate with people. And there are brachot that do you know, became a part of the vocabulary. All of these series of brachot that we mentioned tonight um, that are part of the uh, the daily tefillah, almost every Jew who's opened the Sidur knows these brachot by heart. So, you know, they, be- they become a part of our, our vocabulary. And when an incident like that happens, even the Ameha Haaretz, even the people who were not learned, the not religious, for them saying, it was just natural for them to say, So I thought that was really fun really inter- and really interesting. So that's so much for the Brachot Pulot. I'm sorry if we didn't go deeper into the homiletics. I really wanted to. There's more Halacha we could look at. Again, anybody who's interested, look at Reish Chav Gimel in, in, in the Shulchan Aruch and Old Achreinim there about whether or not you could say the, uh, whether or not you could say these Brachot if you want to, even if it's not um, during the morning, even if it's not part of your fixed liturgy, just like the Ramam used to do it. So thank you everybody for your time and your attention. And I will now pause the record. Okay. So, yeah. So Avner just asked, um, what the difference is between Lehavin and Lehavchin? Uh, when Lehavin, uh, so there are two early years out to this. There's two early versions. One is Lehavin Ben Yom and one is lahavchin. So lahavin beinom laila. This nusach is preferred by those who want to follow the language of the pasuk exactly, right? And so because we're talking about bina, right, that the sechvi, the rooster, has bina, so we say lahavin. And again, if you're kabbalistically minded, also there is an an aspect here of bina with Gavriel. That's first of all lahavchin to distinguish between day and night. Um, the Rehuda <laughs> ben Yakar says something that's very funny. He says. What does the rooster care if it's day or night? He doesn't need it. <laughs> he basically says, like, lehavchin means grammatically. He says, if you pay attention to the grammar, lehavchin beinoma beinlayla is to discern for others. Meaning not that he's distinguishing for himself. He's helping others distinguish. That's the, that's the grammar. I don't know how to say that in fancy grammar language. But lehavchin beinoma beinlayla is that a person is distinguishing Causative. for other people. It's called causative. Okay, so the 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 this causative verb or whatever is yeah. <laughs> of the of the of the of the bracha is that the rooster is helping us know day or night because as the Rehuda ben Yaker says, what does the rooster care? The, the rooster doesn't care if it's day or night. <laughs> you know, from his perspective, it doesn't help him. We're not giving a shvach 
Hashem that the rooster knows whether it's day or night. We don't care about the rooster. We care about us. So we're thanking Hashem that Hashem made us a rooster. I forgot we didn't we didn't speak about also Anotain Le'ev Koch. Because it's not in the Gemara. Anotain Le'ev Koch first appears in the Machsor Vitri, um, which is in France in the uh, 12th century, 11th century, I should say. And it's later we find it in the Smag. It's based on the Pasuk in Yishaya, Mem uh, uh, Chavtet. Uh, the Torah brings it from the Ashkenazi Sidurim. The Temanim today don't say it because the Babli doesn't have it. The Machaber says not to say it. The Shulchan Aruch, in Shulchan Aruch, Paskins not to say it. And he Paskins, it seems like he's Paskining like the Rush, that some are uh, Shvach and some aren't Shvach, but he seems to say, the Machaber seems to say that we don't say Anotin Le'ev Koch because it's not in the Gemara. However, the Arizal in Shara Kavanot endorsed it. The Arizal only gave the Arizal only gave Rav Chaim Vital two, kavan- two sets of Kavanot. He gave him a set of Kavanot for Malbisha Arumim, right, for this whole Or Hamakif thing, that a person should have Kavanot when he says Malbisha Arumim, and he gave him Kavanot for Hanotin Layev Koach. And therefore, the Mikubalim were adamant that a person has to say Hanotin Layev Koach because the Arizal endorsed it. Therefore, a lot of Mikubalim, the disciples, the circle, the circle discipleship of the Arizal, endorsed Hanotin Layev Koach even because it's from the Ashkenaz Sidurim, even though it does not appear in Bavli, they said you have to say it. The The word on the street was that the Machaber, when he heard, when Rabbi Yosef Cairo heard that the Arizal endorsed Hanotein Le'ev Koch, he was Choser, and he believed, and he said that you could say Hanotein Le'ev Koch, and therefore um, the Halakha is, at least Chamovadia Paskins, Chamovadia says that we can and should say Hanotein Le'ev Koch, and that's why, of course, so many Svaradis who dream today say it, but that wasn't originally the case. As if you look at my spreadsheet, you'll notice a a tremendous amount of early Sidurim did not have an Oten Le'av Koch. Many more people had Magbiyash Shvalim than had Hanotein Le'av Koch.